Alrighty, church, if you have your Bibles, let's open those up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. While you're going there, I would also like it if you would turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 as well. We're going to take a look at that as well, too. So 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Peter 3 this morning. Spend a little bit of time in both places. So over the last two weeks, we've, we've been spending time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we've had some interesting discussions, to say the least, uh, from this. So we talked about sanctification. And the idea behind sanctification is that once we are saved, we have this process of becoming more like Jesus. And that process starts from the moment of our salvation, and it doesn't stop until the moment of our death. And so we're always in process. We're always growing in uh, our relationship with the Lord. And Paul, as he was talking to the Thessalonians, he, he correlated that idea of their sanctification, this process of becoming more like Jesus. He tied that into an issue of sexual immorality that was going on in the church. And so they were coming out of a, a pagan lifestyle. They were coming out of places where they would have temple prostitutes and uh, in, in ways of worship for them in, in their culture. And so Paul is saying to them, this is how you used to live, but this isn't who you are anymore. This is, the, this is how the world worships, and you're going to worship in a different way. You're going to come more like Jesus in a different way. And in the process of that, he says, this is how you should be living. Right, so you're not living the same way that you used to live. And so last week he talked about how uh, the, the church at Thessalonica should look. And so he said there that they should lead a quiet life. Right? That there's implications in the text that maybe you had some, some young believers that were going a little crazy in the public space. Right? That it seems like they were making the church look bad in how they were handling themselves in the public space because Paul says uh, you need to lead a quiet life and you need to mind your own business. And so apparently they were going out and, and causing a ruckus. Paul says, settle down, right? We talk, I talked a little bit last week about the cage stage and how, you know, sometimes we get a little ahead of ourselves when it comes to our salvation. We get so caught up in this that, you know, we begin to be haughty about that. and We look down upon other people because they don't believe how we believe. And it seems like there might have been something like that going on here in, uh, the, in this church. And they were also struggling with some laziness. There was some idleness that was going on. And so Paul says, you need to work with your own hands. And part of the reason for that we're going to talk about today um, which is the second coming of Christ. They were expecting Jesus to show up at any time. And because they were expecting that, they stopped doing all their daily chores. They stopped doing what they were supposed to do to take care of their family. And so Paul says, no, no, you work with your own hands so that you don't become dependent on anyone. And there was a balance that I talked about where we have to be willing to do everything that we can. It's okay for us to struggle. It's okay for us not to be able to make ends meet. And it's okay for us to reach out to the church and ask for help in those moments. But if we can work, we should be working. If we can take care of ourselves, we should do that because we should not be dependent on anyone 
if we can take care of it ourselves. And Paul says at the end of that that um, we need to do all this so that we can behave properly in the presence of outsiders. So how we live our lives, we're not living um, for the approval of anyone other than the approval of Christ, or at least we shouldn't be. But how we live does matter. How we live reflects, because we're supposed to be little Christs. That's what Christian means. And so when people look at us, they should see how Christ would act in any given situation. And so he says you need to behave properly in the presence of these outsiders so that they don't get the wrong impression of who Jesus is because they're looking at you. All right. I think it was Gandhi that once said he, he liked Christ. He didn't care much for Christ's followers. And we don't need to be those people. All right. So we've had some interesting conversations over the last couple of weeks. And um, we're getting ready to have another interesting conversation, something that everyone wonders about, which is uh, death and the second coming of Christ, which is always fun topics to talk about, but this is something that the uh, church in Thessalonica had gotten caught up in, and we're going to read about that in 13 to 18, but before we do that, I'd like to pray for our time in the Word together. So let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the love that you've shown us in giving us your Word. Lord, I pray that our, we would be able to wrap our minds around that this is a, a word that you have given to us. We don't need to be listening for a new word from you because you have given us everything that we need for this life in this book. And I pray that we would lean into that, that we would shape our lives around what we find here, and that we would be able to glorify you in all that we do. Lord, it's in your son's precious name that I pray. Amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 13 to 18 this morning. There Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we are asleep, I'm sorry, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So we see here in these verses that the Thessalonians, they're having some issues with their understanding of death. Now, we don't get to get a, uh, a huge understanding of the problem that they have, but they're wondering what does it mean when a follower of Christ dies before the return of Jesus. As I said, they're waiting for Christ to return. Um, they're enthralled with this idea. That, and we're going to see in this letter and in 2 Thessalonians that this is an issue that they, it's going to be ongoing for them. And so uh, we're going to see that uh, they're thinking that this could happen at any time. You know, so they've stopped working because they think Jesus is going to show up and that's going to be it. All right? So Paul is saying, hey, you've got to get, get to work because we don't know when this is actually going to happen. But in the meantime, you've got to eat. You've got to do all these things. And so whatever is popping up in their minds, I guess it's probably having to do with their pagan content uh, uh, culture that they're coming from 
they're probably wondering because it's not going to look the same as what happens after death with their old culture and what is happening in their new relationship with Christ. And so Paul is going to address this briefly in order to bring them comfort. Right? I mean, death is always hard. The reason why it's always hard is because it is unnatural. It's not, it, you might think everyone dies, but that's not how we were meant to live. Right? Death was not something that was supposed to exist in this world. When we sinned at, at the beginning, that's when we introduced death into the world. And so every time someone dies, it feels unnatural to us. Right? There's a sense in us that it should not be this way. Right? So Paul is going to address that. And what we learn um, is that they're curious as to what happens to those who have died in Christ when Christ returns. Right, so they're enthralled, I said what they're enthralled with this idea because they believe Christ would return. And I have found that it seems like every single generation of Christian that I've ever known has believed that their generation was going to be the last generation. Right, it seems, I mean, these conversations have happened throughout my ministry. Right, um, I can definitely say that the two generations before me, they every single one of them have talked a great deal about Jesus returning soon. Like they look into the world, they see the chaos of the world, and they're like, it's got to be soon. It's got to be soon. I, don't, I, I have not heard that as much from my generation, uh, and I don't think I've ever heard the younger generations mention it as much. Uh, and so I'm, I'm beginning to believe that maybe it's just the older folks that are ready for this thing to wrap up, right? We're getting tired, getting beat down, because I'm certainly a lot more interested in it than I was in the past. Like, could we just come back and get this thing over with like i'm ready i'm ready i'm tired i'm ready for the uh um, ready for this the longer i live the more i pray for the lord to hurry up right so due to the excitement that they have about the return of christ and it is an exciting idea for those who are in christ right we we should be excited about this uh, but they're so excited that it seems to take center stage uh, of both of paul's letters to the church right uh, and we can see in, in this letter that there is an intense focus on what the Bible calls the day of the Lord, which is the day of Jesus' return. And, and that focus for them has a positive effect and it has a negative effect. Right On the positive side, when we have this promise of Christ's imminent return, like we know He's coming back, and we have these promises that were offered after He returns, it helps to strengthen us during the difficult days. Right, so we already know that they were facing severe persecution. Persecution from the Gentiles that they have been called out of and persecution from the Jews who oppose everything that Christ does. And so they are experiencing a lot of hardship. They're experiencing a lot of difficulty. And knowing that Christ is going to return and knowing what is promised after that, it helps get us through those difficult days, right? You've got, you can have that mantra, just one more day, Christ is coming back, right? Just one more day, put one foot in front of the other, Christ is coming back. So, I mean, sometimes that, that idea of thinking the power of positive thinking, right? It's some, it works. It helps us when we have things that are going very, very wrong. We cling to the truth. Right? We speak that truth into our lives. On the negative side, though, the idea of Jesus returning soon, it calls some people to just essentially give up on this life. Like, well, I'm done. 
Right? Jesus is going to come. He's going to come back soon. And so they do absolutely nothing. They stop working. They start going out into the public sphere and they aggravate people. Right? They're not minding their own business. They're not leading quiet lives. Um, last week, we, we talked about that. We talked about Paul saying, hey, you know, even if Christ doesn't come back immediately, you still have a life to live. So be quiet, mind your own business, do your work, and quit being dependent on people. Right? And in chapter 5, he's going to warn again against people who are being idle. Right? You're not allowed to be lazy uh, just because Christ is coming back. Right? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to see the problem isn't fixed. And he's going to get to the point where he's going to say, hey, look, if you don't work, you don't eat. Right? So we can, we can tend to lean into the church and think, well, they'll, they'll take care of me no matter what. Well, not really. Like if we follow what Jesus tells us, what Paul tells us, like if you don't do pull your own weight, then we shouldn't help you. Right? Because you're you're not doing what you are supposed to do in Christ. So he he says, you know, do get up, do stuff. Right? We don't know exactly when Jesus is coming back. Right? So uh, there is this reality that Jesus could return at any moment, right? That that is true. But that doesn't mean that we shut down our life and wait for it to happen. Life goes on. You know, like this, the idea that Jesus could return at any moment is supposed to create a sense of expectancy. Right? It's supposed to uh, help us, uh, like, it gives us an opportunity to say, hey, look, if He comes back and you're not right with the Lord, things are going to go very, very bad for you. So we should have this sense of urgency. There are things that we are supposed to do that we have obligations as the church and we're supposed to be busy with things that matter because Christ could return at any time. Right? Every single person that you will meet in the coming week is going to spend eternity somewhere. And when Christ returns, the opportunity for salvation is gone. We no longer have the opportunity for forgiveness of sin. And so we need to be mindful of that. We need to think about that, this imminent return of Christ. If Christ could return at any time, we need to be busy with what the church has been given to be busy with, which is making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is our role. That is our commission. We have been given this, and we never age out of this mission. If we are told that Jesus will come back tomorrow, then we've got 24 hours to work really, really hard for the kingdom of God. And the fact that we don't know exactly when Jesus is going to come back should mean that we should take all the time that we're given and we should use that to work hard for the kingdom of God. But one thing that we do see in Scripture is that Jesus says He is coming back quickly. In Revelation 22, Jesus warns, I'm coming back quickly. And here we sit 2,000 some odd years later and we find out very quickly that the term uh, quickly is a relative term, yes? Many people have looked at this statement of Jesus coming back quickly and they see the church anxiously waiting for the second coming of Christ and they've thought, guys, He's not coming back. If you've got somebody that, you know, let's say you're sitting sitting on a date Right? First date, maybe. And that person says, excuse me, I have to go to the restroom. I'll be back quickly. And they don't come back for 2,000 years. They're not coming back. 
Okay? So, we, we, we hear this all the time. Right? You have lived your life according to this book under the assumption that this guy's coming back and it's been 2,000 years. Well, this is not new. Right? This is not a new argument that the, the non-believers of our time have suddenly come up with. This was already happening to the early believers. I want you, this is why I wanted you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to take a look at that. So if you haven't turned there, go ahead and turn there. Second Peter chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 to 13. There he says, Dear friends, this is now the second letter I have written to you. In both letters, I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder so that you recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior giving, given through your apostles. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last day scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that he, he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlook this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago when the earth was brought about from water and through water. Through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So we're promised scoffers, right? They already had them in the first century, right? Where is he? It's been more than 2,000 years. He's not coming back. Well, Peter addresses this in this passage. And one of the things that he mentions to us in this passage is that time isn't a thing for God. Right? We understand time. Because we have limited amounts of it, right? We rush around because there's only 24 hours in a day, right? There's only so much that we can get done in that amount of time. And then you've got a week with 168 hours. A month has anywhere, depending on the length of it, 672 to 744. A year has 8,760 hours in it. And we scramble around constantly trying to get things done in that amount of time, knowing that we spend about a third of that time asleep, if you have good sleep habits, and the other third of that time we spend at work. And so we're scrambling around trying to get things done because we only have a certain amount of time. But God created time. God is outside of time. And so when we think about God, we don't need to think about God you know, trying to get things done according to His schedule. Past, present, future, it's all now to God. He's outside of it all. The future isn't something that God knows. It's a place where He is. 
Okay, so a lot of times we think about God knows everything. God knows everything that happens in the future. And we think about that as forward knowledge. It's not that way for him. If we were to know what was going on in the future, it would be forward knowledge to us because we exist in now. God does not exist that way. Right. So therefore, when Jesus says he's coming soon and it says that a day is like a thousand years to him, this still counts as soon. Right? That, t- that term is always relative to God. Right? Now, I've heard people, they try to take this, you know, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day and he spent three days in the grave, so three thousand years from now, he'll come back and, you know, all this stuff. Guys, it's, it's a metaphor, okay? It's not meant to be taken literally. It's just saying that time is completely unimportant to God. He's not affected by it in any way. But what we do see here is that the reason why Jesus has taken so long to come back is that this is showing God's mercy on unbelievers. Right? It's meant to give people the opportunity to come to salvation. Right? Outside of a, a saving relationship with Christ, we are condemned to an eternity in hell. We are condemned to an eternity to be separated from God forever. And God loves us, and He does not want us to be separated by our sin. That's the reason why Christ came. Christ came, and He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we deserve. He took on the total wrath of God so that those who will put their faith in Him, there will be none left for us. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered sin, he conquered death for us. And he presents his righteousness to us. If you will just believe, you can have that relationship with the Lord restored. And so Peter here is telling us that God is waiting for you. If you are a non-believer here in this room, God is waiting for you. Why hasn't he returned? Because you haven't come to faith yet. And he wants to give you the opportunity because he loves you and he loves all that are far from him right but the time will not last forever the mercy will eventually run out because we find out that the day of the lord will come like a thief in the night it's going to be quick and it's going to come when we least expect it so we don't know how much time we have i remember I was having a conversation, and oddly enough, this was in Verizon uh, with a different person. Uh, apparently, I share the gospel a lot in Verizon. I don't know why. Um, but when I was, in, I was in seminary, and I was having a conversation with, I worked at GameStop, and next to GameStop was Verizon, and I went in there to deal with a phone issue. And I was talking with a guy, and I presented the gospel to him. And I said, but we don't, like, we don't know when our time is up. Like, we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. And he, he scoffed at me. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I've heard, I've heard that. And he's like, this is a sales tactic. I know. I'm in sales. Right? You, you put pressure on people, and you, you try to get a response. And so he's like, I, I know about all you church guys. You always talk about you never know when you're going to die. You never know when, you know when Christ is going to come back. And, and then he blew it off like, the fact that it's true doesn't even matter, right? Like, you're just putting pressure. But in the same vein, that pressure is real. 
right? We don't know when our days, it says, the Bible says our days are numbered, and we don't know when those days are up. And we have no idea when Christ is going to return, but when He does, there's not going to be time for you to get right with the Lord when that time happens. And when He comes back, it is over. And so we need to be ready for that by attempting to be as holy as we can, right? knowing that we're never going to arrive. We talked about that earlier when we were talking about sanctification. But we need to be as holy as we can, and we need to be working on things that will have eternal consequences, consequences which are kingdom things. Right? Not how many toys we can buy, not how many uh, houses we have, not how many cars we own, not how big our 401k is. Right? But kingdom things, things that matter. How many people we have served? How many people who have come to faith because of the outreach efforts that we have, we have strived for? Like These are the things that we should be working towards. It's the only thing that will matter when Christ returns. When Jesus' ministry in several of his parables, he taught about his return. And in each one of them, it, the, the theme is to be prepared and to be busy. Be ready for when he shows up. And then be busy getting other people ready for when he shows up. Right? But there is a difference between being ready and being obsessed. You know, if, if all we do is think about the end times, right? this is one of the reasons why I'm not diving too deep into this today. Right? Paul didn't dive too deep into it. I'm not diving too deep into it. If we did dive too deep, I mean, it, this would take several, several days. Um, so we're not, we're not going into the theology of the end times right now. Like, the only thing that I'm going to do today is address that fact. Like You need to be prepared and you need to be working because we don't want to be obsessed as it seems like the church in Thessalonica was obsessed with this topic. But Paul did address something that I want to address, which was the death of believers. Right? I don't know how that got twisted up for them. Um, but he shares a little bit about death with us. And one of the things that we need to be aware of is that when our brothers and sisters in Christ die, we should not grieve the same way that a non-believer would grieve. Right? He doesn't go into the details of it, but we have promises. Right? Paul tells us that when, to, to be absent from the body as a believer in Christ is to be present with the Lord. Right? This is the reason why I believe Lazarus was really, really mad when he got resurrected. Right? He was in the presence of God for four days. And all of a sudden, Jesus calls him back out of the tomb. And he has to be back here in this earth. He's going to die again. And so he got pulled out of the presence of God. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Right? And this is one of the reasons why... The Bible often, for believers, it talks about us when we die, it talks about us going to sleep. Right? When Jesus raised the little girl from the dead, he told them she's not dead, she's just sleeping. Right? So when we die, our soul goes up to be with the Lord and our, our bodies essentially sleep in the grave until the time of the resurrection. Right? We are promised that there is going to be a resurrection of the dead, both those who believe and, both the, and those who don't believe. We're going to be resurrected from the dead. Jesus, or Paul says that somehow, right, those who are dead in Christ, they raise first and they will meet Jesus in the air. So when Jesus does return, Scripture tells us that He's going to come back the same way that He left. In Acts chapter 1, 
Jesus ascends back into heaven. The disciples are staring up and an angel appears and says, what are you doing? You've got work to do. He's going to come back. It's going to be the same way, but go get busy with the things that he's told you to do. And so we know for a fact he's going to come from the sky. We know for a fact that he's going to land on the Mount of Olives. We know for a fact that he is going to wreck shop on the nations of this world. Like the, the humble servant baby that showed up in the manger is no more. Right? The, the being that comes down from the sky is the king of kings, the lord of lords, and he's not messing around. And we find out in this passage that when that happens, the dead in Christ, they're going to they're gonna raise up first. They're going to meet him first. And then those who are alive will meet him as well. And it says, well, we will be with him forever. Never again separated from the Lord. And so he says, don't grieve as those who have no hope. We have all these beautiful promises. Like death is not the end, it is the beginning. It's the beginning of eternity for those who are in Christ. And so this is often a passage that's quoted at funerals because you know, we want people to understand that there is life beyond this for those who have put their faith in Christ. Now, if the person who has passed is not a believer, then we should grieve. right? Because all these promises that give us hope also remove a lot of hope for those who are far from God. And I've done those funerals. And it's very hard. I have preached funerals of loved ones that I had people come up after the service and like, oh, he's in a better place. I'll bet you a dollar he's not. I'll bet you a dollar that this is the worst existence that he's ever experienced. I've got people in my life that I'm praying for because I'm afraid that I'm going to do their funeral. And I'm going to have to work around this idea of you know people coming up to me and saying they're in a better place. They finally have their angel's wings. Like, that's ridiculous anyway. But there is no hope if we are not in Christ. Like, I do want you to walk out of here today with the weight of that bearing on you. Because every single person you see when you walk out those doors is going to spend eternity somewhere. You are going to spend eternity somewhere. And if you are not right with the Lord, you're going to spend that eternity separated from Him in a place called hell, which was never designed for you. It was designed for rebellious angels and Satan himself. And you have been offered the opportunity to repent, to turn so that you can have hope when you pass or when someone that you love passes. And so for the application that I have today, given the fact that you are one heartbeat away from meeting the Lord, are you ready? Are you ready for that? Are we going to be able to conduct your funeral and tell those who come to mourn your passing, are, are we going to be able to tell them that they don't have to mourn without hope? Because we know that your heart has changed. We know that you love the Lord. We know that you have pursued righteousness and all that you have been able to do. Are you ready for the day that your heart stops?
given the fact that Christ could return at any moment, are you ready for that? Are you spending your time pursuing holiness? Are you striving to be better in your Christian walk every single day? Are you striving to love the church well? Are you working diligently for the kingdom of God? Because what we do shows what we really believe. Like if we really believed that someone's going to spend an eternity in hell, we would share the good news of the gospel. We can't make people believe. But we would share our faith with them. We would give them the opportunity to grab the life preserver. Right? But often we walk around as though we don't believe it's true based on how we live. We don't do things for the kingdom of God. How are you living today? Is there anybody here today that needs to have a conversation about salvation? I would love to pray with you about that. There, is there anyone here today who would come up and they would admit, I've not been walking this walk that I need to and I need help to figure out how to do it. I'm here. I'm here for you. All afternoon I'll be here. I'll be here at 6.30 tonight for our service. All day long I'm available. I would love to pray with you. I would love to walk with you. I would love to serve in ministry with you. So just let me know what I can do to help. Let's pray together. Father, it is my desire that we would walk out of this place here today with the mindset of knowing that your return, return of Jesus is imminent. Help us to realize and experience the weight of these promises. Lord, that when Christ returns, there's all the hope in the world for those who are in faith, and there is no more hope in the world for those who are far from you. Lord, help us to Strive for holiness. Help us to be people who love you so much that we want nothing more than to do kingdom work. And we see every opportunity that you put out there in front of us as an opportunity to serve you. And Lord, if there's anybody here today who is far from you, I pray that the Holy Spirit would, would awaken their heart right now as they sit. Lord, I pray that there would be a heart change, a life change. And that we would be able to rejoice in seeing another sinner who is saved from the effects of sin and saved from the, the realities of hell. Lord, so I, we need the Holy Spirit to do all this work. We haven't got the power to do it in our, in a, of ourselves. And so, Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would indwell in us and help us to see truth and to respond accordingly. It's in your Son's name that I pray. Amen.